Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Jim Rainey. He's done it all for the paper. Media columnist, politics reporter, features writer, whatever he's doing, it's always a surprising and delightful read. Today, Jim will be talking to a scientist who has been warning the world about pandemics. This scientist wants to tackle the next one, but is now facing conspiracy theorists and reputable scientists raising questions. And just a heads up that this episode has been updated to clarify that Peter Daszak, the subject of the interview you're about to hear, has long worked with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, one of the labs that might be implicated by the lab leak theory. It's also been updated to clarify that many of those advocating investigation of the lab leak hypothesis believe such a leak would have been an accident. I'm Jim Rainey. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is May 21st, 2021. I first interviewed Peter Daszak in April of 2020. What a difference one year can make. Back then, COVID-19 had already traveled worldwide. The US had recorded 50,000 deaths. But some people couldn't believe the pandemic would get much worse. They thought we'd be back at bars, restaurants, and the gym by that summer. The pandemic wasn't a surprise, though, to Daszak and to other scientists who spent their careers studying viruses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very strange, actually, because on the one hand, you've got all the fears that most people have. You know, you're worried that you're going to get infected, that your family are, that your staff are. We also didn't know how bad it was going to get. We didn't know it was going to become a pandemic of this scale. But at the same time, there's excitement because, wow, this is it. You know, we've been saying this for years. We should be on the ground getting the work done and, uh, you know, all of our worst fears are coming true. Daszak is president of the EcoHealth Alliance, where he leads a team of researchers working to locate emerging diseases around the world. The so-called zoonotic viruses that leap from animals to humans. He spent over 40 years traveling to remote jungles, studying wild animals and probing bats in dark caves. Earlier this year, he went to China with the World Health Organization, or WHO, to track the origins of COVID-19. The trip included a visit to a wet market in the city of Wuhan. One theory the WHO group investigated, that wet markets in Wuhan could have been a breeding ground for coronavirus spread. What looks like a typical outdoor market that you would find in rural parts of the US or, or Europe. But actually, when you go inside it, it's not as clean as it looks, it's, it's more, sort of broken down, the infrastructure is quite old, the alleyways are quite narrow, and the way the stalls are set up was to sell fresh food, frozen food, and live animals. And China confirmed in the WHO report that it did sell live animals, but the the animals that they confirmed were fish, amphibians, and reptiles. Now, these aren't just lobsters in a tank. These include, you know, live crocodiles, snakes, um, uh, turtles, Um, giant salamanders. These are the sorts of animals that people want to buy fresh, and the freshest possible is live. There's evidence from a few years ago that they also sold live mammals. Um, China said that that's not been verified, that that was happening just prior to the outbreak. Some of those mammals include animals we know can carry coronaviruses. 
Dashik says cooperation with China is important to understanding and preventing future outbreaks. The city of Wuhan, where that wet market is located, is believed to be the center of the coronavirus outbreak. The market has long been considered a leading suspect, but many scientists say they can't rule out the possibility that the virus accidentally escaped from a lab. The Wuhan Institute of Virology in central China has collected extensive virus samples, leading to allegations that it may have caused the original outbreak by leaking the virus into the surrounding community. The Wuhan Institute of Virology was founded in 1956. It has been a leading research center with one focus on coronaviruses that often are carried by bats. During the Trump administration, the theory of a lab release of the virus that caused COVID reached the highest level of the government. Here's former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. These are not the first times that we've had a world exposed to viruses as a result of failures in a Chinese lab. And so while uh, the intelligence community continues to do its work, they should continue to do that and verify so that we are certain. I can tell you that there is a significant amount of evidence that this came from that laboratory in Wuhan. This story will not be about whether there was a lab leak. One of the several scenarios the WHO team Dashik was part of investigated during its time in China. Dashik's research organization, the EcoHealth Alliance, has partnered with the Wuhan Institute of Virology for more than a decade, working to understand the origins of disease. He said he's skeptical that the lab could have played a role in the virus's spread. No, this story is about what it's like to be Peter Dashik, one of the top infectious disease experts in the field, and about what it's like to search for the kind of germs that have been proven to cross the animal-human divide, causing diseases like Ebola and AIDS. Here's Dashik again. Having worked with those labs for 17 years, um, I've never seen anything that would suggest they, that a lab leak would have happened. You know, you've got to get out on the ground in China and in, in countries around China, sampling bats, sampling wildlife, talking to people, testing them for antibodies to, to COVID. All of those things are now being blocked back for political reasons. And then you've got this other issue, which is how do you then hope that the public will understand that the science means, no, it didn't come out of lab, it came from the wild, when there's so much narrative around that and being put out there by nefarious characters. And we'll have more of my conversation with Dashik after this break. In an interview with virologist Peter Dashik, I asked him about his trip to Wuhan with the World Health Organization. He went earlier this year with a team of scientists to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Pressure had been building for scientists to resolve where the virus actually originated. Here's the team's conclusion about whether the virus came out of the Wuhan lab. Well, the, the language is extremely unlikely. There's just no real evidence. You know, no one had that virus. The lab's well run. It's a brand new lab. It's not somewhere where a virus would likely get out of. The, the staff are trained really well before they get into the lab. They're psych-evaluated. They're tested regularly. The lab's audited. It's just not a place that's sloppily run. It's sort of almost like a catch-22 here because this happened in China with their scientists, with their bureaucracy. You have to work with them to a degree, to get to the truth, and yet people yeah. don't trust their bureaucracy and their scientists 
So I just wonder what you could say to our listeners about why should we feel so assured since a lot of the work that you did when you were with the WHO in China was based on the information they gave you? Well, I mean, first of all, in the report, there is a lot of new data, data that was never shown before. And at some point, if the of this work is to find out where this thing came from, if it came, if, it, if the first cases were in China, which they were, that we know of, then we're going to have to work with China. We, you know, it's their sovereignty um, that means they have the authority to work on their own citizens' health and do the testing and find the results. So we are dependent on them to release those results to us. Um, what we saw on the WHO mission, we pushed and pushed to make sure we got new data into that report. And at some point, you have to say, well, do you believe that this is real or not? And I think that's the problem. We've got people out there saying, well, they've probably covered up, they've cheated, this isn't real. Well, a lot of what they presented fits with the information we were getting our organisation right up until the outbreak, where we were working on the ground in China on coronaviruses from bats. So we can verify what they're saying now against what we were being told prior to the outbreak, and it fits. So I'm confident that certainly from the animal side, what we're being shown is real. Now, whether there's more to be done, absolutely. Yet, I mean, beyond just the scientists, there is a stigmatizing going on of the Chinese. Yeah. Um, of course, the last occupant of the uh, Oval Office talked a lot about the China virus. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. What's wrong with talking about this as a China virus? Well, if you want to stop future outbreaks from happening, um, you need to recognize that viruses are out there in nature everywhere. In the US, we have viruses that we don't know about yet that could become pandemic. And um, we've had, you know, West Nile emerged in New York. We didn't call it the New York virus. It's got o already the old colonial name of West Nile. Um, mm. it, it originated because people in New York do a lot of traveling. It probably came in on airplanes. And as we do things that involve contact with nature, that's every day we do that, we have a risk of these things happening. So blaming one population or a group of people or a behavior or a race, or gender, or religion, is just not the right way to stop future outbreaks. It, it plays to the very worst part of our ignorance um, about these things. And part of the solution that you're talking about is this idea that you can't really solve these problems unless there's world cooperation to root out and find these viruses, yeah. correct? Look, it's in, in every part of what we do, we realize that you need cooperation. So the WHO team, uh, you know, we just went to China. It was a multilateral effort. China agreed to have a group come in. They voted for the World Health Assembly resolution that asked for a mission to go to China to look at the origins. They showed us data. We came to a consensus report that we all agreed one with China. And that's the very best of collaborative efforts. Now, you cannot go there and investigate without the cooperation of the country. If viruses tend to emerge in countries other than the US, to actually fight them, we're going to have to work with those countries. We're going to have to get on the ground there and support their efforts because if we can protect it there, we can stop it getting here. 
Viruses look at us as a one species. They don't distinguish between us based on nationality or gender or religion or power or wealth. They just look at us as blobs of protein they're going to infect and they go ahead and do it. Um, it's kind of it's kind of arrogant to, to think otherwise. I'm just a blob of protein. Uh, try to a virus, you are my friend. <laughs> Probably very attractive to a virus, I imagine. Thank Jim. you. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> The problem is we don't realize it, it's been part of our life throughout human history. Um, you know, the Old Testament has plagues in them. That Those plagues probably were real. They were at the time when cities were formed of the right size that could allow a virus to persist in our population and continually infect our children and kill them. And, and it was a real problem and it still is. You know, we've got vaccines and drugs for measles and, and you know, smallpox. but. We're now reaching out into every corner of the planet into really remote areas and driving the emergence of new diseases. You know, we, we've done the analysis on this. This is increasing in frequency. We're going to see more and more of them. They're going to spread quicker. They're going to kill more people. They're going to crush our economies at a more in, uh, frequent pace. We're, we're getting big outbreaks now every few years. Ebola was pretty big. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention urged Americans to avoid traveling to Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Liberia. The Ebola outbreak in the three West African countries has killed more than 700 people this year. The last time the CDC issued this kind of travel warning was 2003. It cost us in the U.S. $5 billion because that's how much we spent on control of Ebola. You know, we saw um, HIV, 40 million people roundabouts. That's a pretty significant outbreak. Repeated outbreaks of flu. The more we grow our population, the more globalized we are, the easier it is for these viruses to spread. And they're on the rise. So um, we're in the pandemic era, whether we like it or not. And um, I, 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 I really hate to say it, but um, COVID wasn't the worst possible scenario. What if COVID had exactly the same characteristics, but also killed our young children? How would we feel about that. I mean, look back to some of the big outbreaks in our history, like um, the Black Death in Europe that killed, you know, over a third of the European population. Imagine that. Um, just incredible. Uh, and, and that's still possible now. In fact, we're creating the perfect conditions for it to happen. Coming up, when politics gets in the way of science, how do we work with China if transparency and trust are in doubt? We're back. There are scientists who are concerned that researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology may have encountered the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Perhaps it had been collected from an animal in the wild and later infected people in the lab who spread it to others unintentionally. There's also a vocal group of skeptics who suggest that this coronavirus was cooked up in a lab designed specifically to make people sick. So Peter, I go to Google your name yesterday, and I believe at least, well, definitely the first page of hits are all about, to varying degrees. Now, they're not all adopting the sort of conspiracy theory or the lab, but they're all talking about it, even the ones that seem to somewhat want to debunk it. Is this taking away from the actual hunt for the, the true source oh, of the virus? There's a real irony to this, and it's not a good one. Um, we have a good idea from the WHO mission 
what further work needs to happen. And right now there's a window to do that further work. China's agreed to do that. But the more push there is to blame China, to point fingers around a lab release, which for which there is no evidence yet, zero evidence, um, it means that that other work that needs to be done, um, the door's closing on our opportunity. And that's a real problem for future generations. There's no alternative. No. Unless we're going to send in a SEAL team to to seize all their, <laughs> you know, and that's not going to happen. We're not, we're not going to go in there and start World War III to seize all the materials and records in their lab. There's a greater issue out there, which is there's an expectation from the public that when a disaster happens, you know, an airline disaster, that there's an investigation, that you find the black box and then you get an answer. Well, diseases aren't like that. Diseases emerge, they trickle across from wildlife into people every day in places like South China, Southeast Asia. Eventually, one of those trickling events leads to a pandemic. Tracing it back means you have to look at all of that pattern and it takes time and it takes resources and you have to be on the ground in the country to do that. It's not like a criminal investigation where you send a squad of detectives and they come up with an answer after a, a couple of weeks. This will take time and it will take um, cooperation from China. So that's what we're trying to do. And uh, I'm absolutely committed to that. I'm absolutely committed to finding out where this forest came from. Are you open to, if new information arises, that you will be willing to say, yeah, it could have come from a lab? Yeah, I mean, it's very important. If you read the WHO report, we, we, the team, all of us, said that the lab escape pathway was extremely unlikely. We did not say it's impossible. Um, and in, in the recommendations, we didn't say nothing, no further work should be done on this. What we said was, if further evidence comes to light, it should be followed up. It's a fact that there is no actual verifiable evidence that this virus in any way escaped from a lab in China. If evidence emerges, that needs to be looked at for sure. And what about for you personally? Have you been threatened? Threatened on a daily basis. Yeah, really. Multiple times a day at the moment. And um, yeah, it's pretty awful. Um, you know, you don't expect that. No, I mean, it's, it's pretty ugly right now. Peter, we're a year into this pandemic. And what I know you really want to look at, besides the cause of the current pandemic, is looking forward to the danger of a future outbreak, which is you've told us is almost certain. Is there anything that makes you hopeful about a year into this that there is a good trajectory going forward for research on spillover viruses? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge optimist. Um, and, you know, part of what we've been doing is to, for many years, is to say, it's no good relying just on vaccines and drugs to get out of pandemic risk. We also need to try and prevent them. Pandemics are increasing in frequency. More and more every year, they move quicker, they kill more people on average every year. And the reason for that is we're doing more things to the environment. We're reaching out into these remote parts of the world and putting in high-speed rail networks, roads, development projects. We're coming into contact with wildlife that carry viruses, some of the 1.7 million unknown viruses we predict are out there. And then now is a growing movement on the ground to understand that sustainable approaches to the environment will prevent pandemics. And I think just like we've seen with the climate change agenda, the young generations on the planet understand this. 
They want to do something that preserves the planet. And here's another reason to do that. You actually reduce pandemic risk. Peter Daszak is a zoologist and president of the Eco Health Alliance based in New York City. Thanks for speaking to us today, Peter. Great to see you again, Jim. My pleasure. The question of the origins of COVID-19 doesn't look like it will be resolved anytime soon. Last week, a team of prominent scientists, including researchers from Stanford and Harvard, sent a letter to the journal Science saying more investigation is needed. The scientists criticized the WHO team for not more seriously considering the possibility that a laboratory accident leaked the deadly coronavirus. And while scientists like Peter Daszak keep looking for answers on the origins of COVID-19, it's hard to imagine how the discussion won't continue to be mired in controversy and politics. Peter Daszak's organization, EcoHealth Alliance, directed us to the World Health Organization regarding the recent letter about the roots of COVID-19. The WHO told the Times that their review continues. Previously, the agency's director general, Tedros Ghebreyesus, said many hypotheses remain on the table. He said, quote, although the team has concluded that a laboratory leak is the least likely hypothesis, this requires further investigation, potentially with additional missions involving specialist experts, which I am ready to deploy, end quote. He also recommended further research into the trade of animals and products in markets across Wuhan. That's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Shani Hilton, Hector Becerra, Shelby Grad, and Stuart Leavenworth. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back Monday with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.